Welcome to Gina Geeks Gems. My guest today is Pip. Hello, Pip. Hello. Pip, today we're going to be focusing on the Crake family. Crake. Ooh. Do you know anything about the Crake family? No, pretty much unless they're in my direct family. I have very little knowledge. <laughs> Do you know someone called Davina? Uh, yes, Davina um, Nelson was my great-grandmother. And she was a Crake. Oh, is that her maiden name? Yes, that was her maiden name. Oh. So we're going to be talking about her family today. Mm-hmm. And most of the action is centred around a particular address. Is it in Arbroath by any chance? <laughs> it's actually not. Oh, gosh. Okay. A lot of our family uh, is from Arbroath. So I thought maybe. Uh, well, I hope you're not disappointed. <laughs> the address is 107 River Street in Brecon. Okay, Brecon. No Brecon. You know Brecon. I know Brecon. Yeah. Some of my grandparents lived very nearby there in a, another little village called Edsel. Oh, okay. And have you been there then? Yeah, yeah, been to Brecon. It was kind of the biggest town near them. But I don't know where 100 and what have you is. <laughs> 107 River Street. Brecon is situated alongside the River South Esk in what is now the county of Angus in Scotland, but it was then known as Forfarshire. And it's interesting that you said it's the biggest town near your grandparents. Mm -hmm. It is a town, but it's actually also referred to as a city due to its cathedral. Yeah, I was going to say, is that the old, um, if you've got a cathedral, you can be a city gambit. <laughs> well done, Brecon. <laughs> and it still comes up. Various things are called City of Brecon and Brecon City, something or other. So it's still referred mm -hmm. to as a city, particularly back in the day. Mm -hmm. The Ordnance Gazetteer of Scotland. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, no. Is that a publication of some description? Yes, it's like a survey of Scotland. And they kind of mm. spoke all about different places in Scotland. This was published in 1884. And it says, The paper mill, two flax mills and five linen factories employ a large number of hands. The manufacture of Osnabergs, brown linen and sailcloth having long been largely carried on. The quantity of linen stamped here annually exceeded 500,000 yards at the beginning of last century. Do I've got to stop there. I don't really have any indication of what 500,000 yards <laughs> is to you. It sounds like a lot, mm. but I don't actually... No, maybe we, we need to look up like how many football pitches that is. That's <laughs> what they always like compare it to in some regard, don't they? All right. 5,000 yards is... X number of football pitches. One yard is nearly a metre. It says one yard is yeah. 0.9144. So what was it? 500,000 yards. 500,000. 500,000 yards of this fabric Ooh. to, I guess, kilometres. 457 kilometres. Wow. That's a lot of cloth. Mm -hmm. A football pitch. Let's try <laughs> 500,000 yards in football pitches. <laughs> oh, I can't kind of type properly. Typing on the fly. Well, because being imperial in our distances, we might need like miles or football pitches. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says uh, the first result that says how many football fields is 500 yards. That's the length of five football fields. 
So 500,000 yards would be 5,000 football 5, fields. 5,000 football fields. It's a wow. lot of cloth. That's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of Osnabergs, brown linen, and sailcloth. Is Osnaberg like a family name? I'm glad you like, asked. Is that or the business name? Okay, because <laughs> I had to look it up. It's a, just a type mm-hmm. of coarse linen, like with a plain weave. Oh, okay. Well, I say linen, coarse fabric, coarse weave material. So, like jute would be another. Yeah, um, like maybe? I'm thinking linen. They did a lot of jute, but like yeah. a coarse linen. Because it's obviously separate to mm. linen, because the next one says brown linen. Mm. So the quantity of linen stamped here annually exceeded 500,000 yards at the beginning of last century. By 1818, it had reached 750,000 yards. So that's what, seven and a half thousand football pitches? Seven and a half thousand football pitches, yeah. <laughs> now, though, in for reference. Thank you. I'm sure everyone appreciates that. (laughs) Now, though employing fewer persons than 40 years since, the manufacture yields a much larger produce thanks to improved machinery, the weaving that lately all was done by hand, being now mostly done by power looms in factories. Mm. The East Mill, large to start with, is described today as monstrous in its magnitude. So it's a big mill. Monstrous. Big old mm. mill. There are also two extensive bleach fields, two distilleries, a brewery, two sawmills, two nurseries, and the Denburn Machine Works. Oh, the only thing I wasn't sure of was like a bleach field. A bleach field. My understanding of that is um, where they would bleach the fabric that they make and they kind of mm. hang it out over like bushes and things like that. So it wasn't, oh, okay, so they would just hang out their bleached items to dry in a sort of field. That's my understanding of it, but I feel like I should research that and I'll add a little note onto (laughs) our our post-show notes for anyone else who's interested Uh, in bleach fields. But yeah, it sounds like a pretty happening place. It does. What's going on? It does. It sounds like a city of sorts. (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking about 107 River Street in particular. 107 River Street was first mentioned, or the first mention I could find of it, was in a sale notice in the newspaper in 1868. So they were selling 107, Mm -hmm. as well as the adjoining property, 109. They've both been offered together, but they didn't sell for the 300 pounds they were asking. So it was not sold for 300 pounds, and it wasn't sold for 190 pounds the following year. <laughs> oh dear, nobody wants 107, 109 River Street. And that was even with number 50 thrown in. Oof. Yeah, so maybe number Where 50. Where did they find number 50? <laughs> well, that's maybe number, <laughs> maybe they would have bought it if it hadn't been for number 50. Mm. Nor the 180 pounds was going for an 1870. That was just 107, 109. So 50 must have sold. So they put the price. So it's a 10 pound for 50. Yeah, yeah. Do we know what um, these house prices would like relate to in in modern money? Um, Because, I mean, it sounds ridiculously cheap and obviously it's not ridiculously cheap because you can sometimes do that comparison, can't you, between what something would be worth now. And I bet it would still be ridiculously cheap because of house prices now. The National Archives have a good currency converter and I can put in the year. So we're talking 1868, roughly. And our closest we've got, mm-hmm. let's go 1870. It was first offered for £300. 
Mm-hmm. That's worth approximately, so in 2017, so five years ago, six years ago, this was worth approximately £18,782. So it's still pretty cheap, I think. Still pretty cheap for two houses, isn't it? Well, if you'd like some more comparisons, it says in 1870, you could buy one of the following with £300. You could buy either 20, okay. 20 horses, <laughs> 56 cows. <laughs> I need all of these things. <laughs> well, you can only have one with this 300. You'll need more money. If you oh, want to buy yeah. yeah. You could buy 454 stones of wool, 149 quarters of wheat, or you can hire a skilled tradesman for 1,500 days of wages. Oof. Mm. What's that? Like nearly three years you could have them for? Working constantly? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more than three years. Four years, yeah, four maybe. Four. Yeah, have them working, no break. <laughs> yeah, no holiday, no days off. Or you could have 107 and 109 River Street. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, yeah, let me just put in 180 pounds. Oh, yeah, what was it was reduced to 11,269. So, mm-hmm. quite a drop in price, really. I don't know what it eventually sold for, but it appears to have been bought by the Crake family sometime before the 1881 census. So there's 10 years in there. Like a bargain. Well, it could <laughs> it could have been someone else buying it between them and, and, and that, but I have a feeling that they bought it at the knockdown price of <laughs> £180 or less. Mm, mm. But not number 50. They missed that chance. They should have got in sooner. No, that was that offered past. <laughs> The Craig family in question, who bought 107 River Street, were your third great-grandparents. Their names were Robert and Mary, and they were living there with their seven children. Oof, busy. This is in 1881. The eldest was 22, and the youngest was seven. It's quite a lot of age between them. Mm. But I guess you do have to have seven children. You need a bit of a break every now and again. <laughs> and then the older ones can help out with the younger ones. That and as well, get some money in as to the house as well, go and earn their keep. Mm, yeah. And that that youngest, that little seven-year-old, is your second great-grandfather, Davidson Creek. So that would be like my great-grandmother's dad, maybe, or like uncle or... That's your great-grandmother's dad. Great-grandmother's dad. There we that's, go. So that's Davina's dad. And so Davidson Creek, little seven-year-old in 1881. Now... Robert worked in one of those mills that we mentioned, spinning flax. Robert died in late 1893, and Mary died in early 1896. And a month after Mary died, Davidson, your second great-grandfather, married Elizabeth Sadler. They were married at 107 River Street. Oh, they married there. They married in their house. It was fine in those days in Scotland. It was fine to marry in private houses Mm. as long as bans were read or the license obtained. So you couldn't just go, yeah, everyone come around. We're going to have a wedding tonight. You still had to read out bans in church and, you know, make sure that no one objected to the marriage. But the actual ceremony could be done in your private house. Oh, much handier. Hmm, exactly. A lot cheaper as well. Mm. They were both born in Brecon and they both worked at one of the flax mills. I'm not sure exactly which one. There were two at one point. I'm not sure if it was the monstrous East Mill 
Maybe that's where they met. It's a good guess. But then again, if they're both from Brecon, they may have gone to school together. Yeah, lots of chance to for paths to cross. So this was Davidson and who's his wife? Elizabeth. Now? Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. By 1901, Davidson had become a mill foreman. Fancy man. <laughs> but he and his family were still living at 107 River Street. So it can't have been that terrible. Yeah, and thinking that like they've they've downplayed that. Like he was a mill foreman, but he still lived there. Like, <laughs> uh, like, he still lived in this hole that couldn't sell for 180 pounds. Well, that's my wording. <laughs> to be day. fair, don't diss my word. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but they still lived there. That's fine. It must have been nice enough for them to stay there. Yeah. 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 My point was actually not meant to refer to the quality of the house. I just thought <laughs> since we were talking about the possible skankiness of it that <laughs> they were still living there in the 1901 census so the family had been in there in the 1881 census and the 1891 mm. census and in 1901 i think partly what i found a little bit strange is that the youngest was the head mm. well they were the one who'd like ended up staying there sort of thing yeah you know sometimes you'd think the family home would go to the oldest or something but maybe he was yeah still living there when his parents died I thought the timing was interesting. Marrying Elizabeth a month after his mother died made me wonder, did she have a problem with Elizabeth? <laughs> like, we couldn't do it while she was alive. <laughs> now she's dead. Mother would never approve. No, no. Or was it like a really sad occasion? Like, oh, what a shame. Mum tried to last so long to see us get married. So maybe they had it planned all along. And as you say, then she just couldn't quite, couldn't quite hang on and see the happy day. We'll probably never know. Anyway, the point is that the family was still living there all through those years. In 1881, 1891, 1901. Fast forward a bit, the family was still living there when Davidson died in 1942. Oh, they loved it. Yeah, it was obviously their home. They, they didn't want to leave. And Elizabeth, his wife, continued to live there after his death. Do you care to guess, my dear Pip, why the street that they lived on was named River Street? Was it near to the South Esk or led down to said river that ran through Brecon? You have a very good memory. And yes, it ran parallel to the River South Esk mm. and still runs parallel to the River South Esk. It still exists. Is it like right right near to it? Like, is it kind of the, yeah. the very near street? It's right there. It's running right along next to it. So the reason I, that I remember the South Esk is because that also runs through Edsall. Ah. where my grandparents lived. So then we would go down to South Esk and I remember there would always be like the water level would change quite a bit. And I wonder if that affected this street. Well, <laughs> funny you should say that. It was prone <laughs> and still is, but more so that it was prone to a lot of flooding. Mm. That's maybe why I had to reduce the price for a second. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good bet. It's a good bet. In 1888, to so go back a little bit, in 1888, it was reported that River Street flooded to a depth of several inches. It had been about five years since there was so heavy a flood. So mm. a couple of years after the Crake family moved in, there were floods. There was lovely inches of water. Mm. hanging about on the street that's right i'm going to share a picture with you that i found in the newspaper uh, in 1910 a photo was printed in the dundee evening telegraph mm. 
Oh, so it's like it looks like a quite a wide street, and you can see sort of trees on um, one side, and then houses on the left. And basically, there's people hanging out in shorts because there is a fair few inches of water on the ground, and somebody's like cycling through it. Yeah, <laughs> very very brave. <laughs> I think you'll find those shorts that you mentioned are actually trousers rolled up. Ah, okay. On the left, anyway. Can't see the rock ups. Yeah. The older boys. The younger boys are probably still in shorts at this point. Mm. For those people who don't know, it's a very, I was going to say English thing, Scottish thing, British thing. Maybe it was a worldwide thing that you were in shorts until you reached a certain age and you graduated to trousers. (laughs) Yeah. What I really enjoy as well is the... The heading that accompanies this photograph is River Street, Brecon, converted into a lake <laughs> as if it was some kind of purposeful act. Yeah, like we've all just wanted a nice swim in the summer. Yeah, let's let's not have a street here. Let's just have a lake that we can paddle in and cycle through. Waterfront <laughs> property to the extreme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So River Street continued to flood periodically over the years. In 2015, a flood prevention scheme was completed, but last year the street was flooded again because, <laughs> yeah. and I quote, two of three pump stations aimed at removing surface water from the town's river street did not start automatically when water was detected. Well, that's not a very good flood prevention scheme. No. <laughs> Just to... Two out of three failed um, when they shouldn't have done, so it flooded again. I wondered what um, flood prevention scheme there might be. Was it just like, we filled a load of bags with sand? Because that seems to be how a lot of people (laughs) deal with it in these days. It seemed to be quite an elaborate. They've built a a, a wall. There was a big thing and they had all sorts of... A big thing, that's very descriptive. (laughs) You You can look it up, but you might be interested to hear that despite... This, despite these two or three pump stations not working and it flooding, Angus Council said the scheme was effective because <laughs> classic council <laughs> because the main flood defence, which contains the South Esk River in Brecon, held. That's from the BBC News on twenty second of November, twenty twenty two. So they're saying, yeah, yeah, it may have flooded, but it's okay. It still did what it was meant to do, and it stopped the river from breaking and i guess that's to do with the wall that i mentioned so it's just two of the pumps didn't start automatically and yeah then it flooded Mm. last year (laughs) but it was still a success (laughs) it was fine (laughs) yeah yeah so it flooded a lot your family was still there still at 107 river street in 1950 in september 1950 Notice was given that 12 houses in River Street had been selected as unfit for human habitation. Wow, what's the bet that 107 is one of them? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it was the damp or the mould or whatever's come in from the river. (laughs) Oh yeah, closing order on River Street houses. Yes, so in the Brecon Advertiser on 12th of September 1950, it has this article. Before long, the town council will be able to provide new accommodation for the tenants of 12 houses in River Street, which are not only liable to flooding, but otherwise in bad condition. Some time ago, the Department of Health gave the council a special allocation of a dozen houses to rehouse such tenants. 
It is hoped that the first houses will be ready before Christmas. Twelve houses in River Street having been selected as unfit for human habitation following an examination by the Medical Officer of Health and the Berg Surveyor, proprietors were required to appear before the town council last Monday if they wish to make any representations against closing orders being made. Only in the case of one property was any objection made. The council unanimously resolved to make closing orders in respect of the other 11 houses, as from Martinmas next, on the grounds that they were unfit for human habitation and not capable at reasonable expense of being made fit. When is Martin Miss? I've never heard of Martin. Well, maybe I have heard of Martin Miss, but yeah, I've heard of Michael Miss more than Martin Miss. Oh, it's in relation to like a patron saint or something. Saint Martin's Day, November 11, twenty twenty-three. I don't know if it changes every year, like Easter. Okay. So it's sometime in November, and this is what September. And they list all the properties and their tenants, and then right at the very end, we've got. 109 River Street. Mm, so they're sort of combined. Yeah, that was the adjoining property that was sold with 107. Yeah. So I think it seemed to be sold as a package. Tenanted by Robert Bruce, and in brackets, it's got Mrs. Annie E. Crake. Mm-hmm. And tenanted, is this because they were like rentals or they just said the tenants were just whoever occupied that place? Well, the family seemed to utilize 109 over the years and sometimes mm. rented it out. Okay, so sometimes oh, okay. maybe a family member lived there, but they tended to rent it out. Annie E was Annie Elizabeth. She was the eldest daughter of Davidson and Elizabeth. I'm not sure why she was the owner and not her mother, who was still alive at this mm. point, but okay. Annie, yeah. Annie E appears to be the registered owner. So where it had like tenanted by blah, 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 and then in brackets, like a different person. Yeah. Is that saying that like... It was owned by them, but this is like the head of the house now or something. They've rented it out to Robert Bruce. Oh, right. So they were the tenant and then it was the landlord was in the brackets sort of thing. Yes. Sorry, I could have made that a bit clearer. So 109 River Street, tenanted by Robert Bruce. So rented out by Robert Bruce and Mrs. Annie E. Craig in brackets, who is the owner of the house. Yes. Yes. So what does that make you think about the condition of the house? (laughs) Uh, I mean it said that it was in bad conditions not just because it was liable to flooding that these places were like liable to flooding but it's saying that they were otherwise also in a bad condition so had they been smashing down walls (laughs) like having a bit of a smash house um, or was it just like completely full of like damp and mold and whatever as a result of the flooding I don't know. I'm excited to find out. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's another article that explains a little bit more. It's not as straightforward as you would think. Brecon Council mistake, says witness. Yes. The suggestion that Brecon Town Council had applied a closing order to the wrong house was made at four for Sheriff Court yesterday when Annie Elizabeth Crake, 107 River Street, Brecon, pleaded not guilty to having relet a house at 109 River Street. It's interesting that she had to like plead not guilty to it. I'm interested about this wrong house malarkey. 
<laughs> well, Mr. Alexander O. Small, town clerk, said on 9th of August 1950, a notice was served intimating that the town council was to consider applying a closing order. We saw that article. Mm. There was no reply, nor was any objection stated. The order was served on 4th September. The former tenant, Mr. R. Bruce, was found another house by the town council. Warning. A long time after the closing order was issued, Miss Crake and her mother, so that's your great-grandmother, Elizabeth, Miss mm. Crake and her mother called on him protesting. He pointed out she was liable to penalties if she relet the house. A few weeks later, it was reported that the house was occupied. So like, you're not allowed to relet it. They relet it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Cross-examined, witness said that on Monday, a motion was tabled at the council meeting that the order be withdrawn. Was that because half the councillors thought the wrong house had been condemned? There were 13 councillors and six voted for the motion, but there was no question about the wrong house having been condemned. Robert Bruce, 72, now at 11 Albert Place, Brecon, former occupier of the house, said it was in very good condition and very comfortable. But he happily moved to wherever the council <laughs> found him a new house. That's I mean, a good he was 72. Point. He was just like, oh, okay, like, <laughs> wherever you want to put me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that is the new house that they found, presumably, 11 Albert Place. Yes. But he's saying it, it, there's nothing wrong with the house. It was fine. Mm. Mrs. Mary Ann Ross, 69, the present tenant, that's who they relet it to, said she took occupation on 5th of June. Her rent was £4.19 shillings per annum. A palace is the subtitle. Mm. In quote marks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a <laughs> quote palace. <laughs> Questioned about the house in the recent flooding, she said, so recent flooding, so another one. There was never anything to complain about. My walls were dry. My doctor said it was a little palace. Uh, so it was the doctor's quotes that um, were titled in the in this section. And he would know. Miss mm. Craig, in evidence, said she asked the town clerk if he was not making a mistake with another house in River Street. <laughs> Surely you're talking about number 22. <laughs> yeah, That's a real 50. Like We sacked that one off like back in the day. Yeah, uh, so number hopefully 50. it's to do with Ooh. them. Yeah. I need to check back and see if number 50 was one of the ones getting torn down. Mm. All right. So he told her they were taking action because of flooding. Referred to a report dated 1947, we said this year was 1951. She said she never had a tenant named Jury. She admitted she knew a closing order had been applied before she relet the house. She had, however, been informed by members of the council that a mistake had been made and the matter would be put right. Albert Young Crake, 52, brother of accused, said that he dealt with his sister's business during her illness. He had an interview with the town clerk in which he, witness, said a mistake had been made. He thought that because they never had a tenant named Jury and the description given in the surveyor's report of 1947 did not apply. So they were looking for someone who was renting by the name of Jury. And then it's all a bit messed up, isn't it? Something's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, I believe the house they wanted to tear down had a tenant called Jury in it. And they're like, we never even had a tenant called Jury. So what you and want they, about? 
they got house 109 wasn't it that was the one that was being rented out yes so it might have been something else a nine or one oh something else and there was just a um a clerical error um, who at knows some point, and all the letters got sent there and the baby boy <laughs> robert bruce happily went off to another house <laughs> oh, that's great robert bruce took his chances mm. he, he went and checked out was it 11 albert place and thought this is yeah. even more of a palace <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely and very comfortable but I, but I went here i i just take my orders so here we go <laughs> Yeah, so there's been a balls up. (laughs) (laughs) I am satisfied it has been an official blunder, said Craig. Mistake, says Dean. William Young Dean of Guild in Brecon Town Council said it was an excellent house. It is a better house than many in River Street and certainly a better home than my own. And that is not likely to have a closing order applied, he said. Witness said, although he had asked at the council regarding a later report on the house, he had seen no report other than the one dated 1947. He thought a mistake had been made. I moved this prosecution should be withdrawn and the closing order uplifted and six supported me out of a council of 13, which I think not very bad. It's not very bad. It's not a majority. (laughs) Unfortunately (laughs) not. We're splitting hairs. (laughs) Yeah. He added that he thought others in the council would have supported him, but they were afraid of being made laughing stocks. <laughs> what, for having made this mistake? I guess maybe they don't want to admit to the mistake. Like, sure. Oh, no, we didn't. We sent the wrong person to the wrong place. And that, that means surely that there's another house somewhere on River Street that's inhabitable. <laughs> That is still being <laughs> yeah, because you know, they kicked the wrong person out of the wrong house. That person's living in like a puddle of water in and squalor. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sheriff Ford, in imposing a nominal penalty of one pound, said, I express the hope that the whole matter may be reconsidered by the competent authority, <laughs> the competent, by the competent authority and through the right channels. So they're thinking, let's, you've got to pay, you just re-let it, even though we said not to. So you've got to pay some kind of fine. Let's call Mm. it a pound because there's obviously been some kind of fuck up. This whole malarkey went on for a while when finally there was a notice given in the Brecon Advertiser on the 12th of February, 1952. So a few months later, Mm. withdrawal of closing order. The council considered an application from the agents of Miss A.E. Crake for the withdrawal of the closing order on the house at 109 River Street. It was stated that improvements had been carried out on the house, including the installation of a water supply. Wow, that's high accolade. (laughs) Yeah, so whether they actually had to do any work or the council said, right, we'll do something to it just so we can save face to make out that Mm. something had to be fixed up. So they've installed mm-hmm. a water supply. Okay. And that seems to be case closed. Uh, so they did that to say it had been done. And then they're like, that's fine. You can relay it because you did that great work. <laughs> right. So they mentioned in there about the recent flooding. In November 1951, there was another flood. Surprise. Mm. <laughs> and there was an article in the Brecon Advertiser on the 13th of November 1951. I'm going to get you to read the headlines. We don't need mm-hmm. to read the whole article. Worst floods for 30 years. And then another headline. Heavy damage in river valleys. 
and then another one over three feet of water in River Street. That's more than a few inches that we had earlier. Mm. I'm not sure they're going to have some dapper bloke cycling through that no, mess. No, you'd have to swim. So deep was the water in the cellar below the Bridge End Bar that the old fire engine was taken down to pump it out on Tuesday. Oh, yeah, I remember that's the thing that, like, the fire brigade did. No automatic pumps for them either. No, and you say automatic pumps, I mean, only, only one of them. <laughs> the less than automatic pumps. So lots of flooding going on. And understandably, residents were fed up of this. And your great-great-grandma became involved in a movement. Oh, flood zone tenants have had enough. Households in River Street, Brecon's frequent flood zone, have formed a Tenants and Proprietors Association, which aims to protect homes and belongings against future inundation. Fires were burning in many uncarpeted rooms there yesterday as tenants were still drying out following last week's floods. A house-to-house canvas produced ready support for the new association. Membership fee has been fixed at one shilling a year and membership is open to anybody in the town. 76-year-old Mrs Elizabeth Crake, 107 River Street, who has lived there longer than anyone else, told the Courier and Advertiser yesterday, Every time we have had a flood, this would be much better at a Scottish accent, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, I could try if you want. Yeah, go on. Um, I have to channel my inner, inner Scott again. Your inner Elizabeth. <laughs> my inner <laughs> Elizabeth. Oh, and it's going to be terrible and all my Scottish <laughs> relatives are going to judge me horrifically. It'll be better um, than mine. <laughs> be like, oh, I can't even think of it now. I was literally chatting to one of my Scottish cousins this weekend as well. Like every time we have a flood, there was always promises to stick together to get something done afterwards. This is the first time anything has been done. Well done. I would I don't know if that you. was that regional or whatever. It was slightly Scottish, wasn't it? <laughs> Many floods. Mrs. Craig was married at 107 River Street 55 years ago. She remembers many floods, some worse than the last one, but a feature of these of 1947 and 1951 has been the rapidity with which the river rose. We got very little warning, said Mrs. Crake. In one of her rooms, furniture is still piled on a table, and at the threshold she has had to have some flooring replaced. Her worst flooding experience was in 1913, when the water reached four feet up the walls of her home. They were saying it was bad when there was like a foot in the basement of the pub or whatever, like four feet up the walls. Wow. It disappeared as quickly as it came, for part of the dam dike was swept away and the floodwaters left River Street in a matter of minutes. Mrs Crake went to the inaugural meeting of the association at which most households had a representative present. Mr James Forbes, Montrose Street, who presided, said the residents of River Street had been long-suffering and the formation of an association was much overdue. Then they list a few of the office bearers, including Miss A. Crake, 107 River Street. So Annie's in Mm, there. Also part of the crew, the association. Householders, it was stated, are grateful for the help given them by Brecon Town Council, but many of them are against a suggestion that the homes should ultimately be abandoned. Many own their homes. The association had already sent the following resolution to the town council. 
The River Street Tenants and Proprietors Association views with deep concern the recurrent flooding to which River Street is subjected and urges upon the Town Council the necessity of steps being taken to alleviate, or if possible, to eliminate such occurrences. The association feels that serious consideration should be given to the question of removing the dam dike below the bridge, as it is of the opinion that it is one, if not the main contributory cause of flooding. The association, desiring only to be helpful in this most distressing matter, would welcome the opportunity to cooperate with the council towards achieving the end in view. Official approval has been given to the town council for an emergency allocation of coal to householders in River Street. To light the fires, to help them dry out their homes. That are exactly. Sodden. Sodden. Yep. Mr. A.O. Small, town clerk, has been authorised to give a further issue, if essential, and coal merchant stocks will be made up. So they were asking for help with um, sorting it out helping like mitigating it or eliminating it and it <laughs> I mean we heard in the latest <laughs> town council that they tried in 2015 with this whole whole plan and then in 2022 and it was a great success when two out of the three failed well I'm not yeah. sure if they did anything they may have done something with the damn dike but even if they did obviously wasn't enough until they finally did something about it in 2015 what do you think so far? Have you got a nice, respectable family? Uh, seems fairly respectable. I mean, they've just stayed at the same place for ages, which <laughs> sounded similar with where I thought that they would all be in our growth still at that point. But maybe that happens later down the line um, or it's like a slightly different branch. Um, yeah, they're renting out half the house, like the 109 bit, living in the 107 bit, um, joining the local the locals to not uprise against the council but just try and get some <laughs> stuff done um try and sort out river street which turns into a river every so often yeah seem all right i do well i'm very pleased to say that i've found some dirt <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> right so we need to rewind to 1929 you may have picked up the brother's name mentioned in one of the previous articles albert young Crape. yeah the one who sort of like made representations on behalf of annie wasn't it mm -hmm. while she was ill mm. albert was elizabeth's son davina's brother and on the 22nd of january 1929 the dundee evening telegraph published an article about albert and his wife cecilia uh, having a fight with a neighbor oh neighborly arguments the best kind. A uh, battle of ashes at Brecon. Husband and wife charged. Man's attack on neighbour. So, one just fight. It seems like Arthur's attacked the neighbours. But both Albert. have been charged. Oh, Albert. Who do I call him? Arthur. Don't Arthur. Know Arthur from. <laughs> Albert. They start with A. Yeah. While England and Australia have been battling for the ashes, a battle of ashes of a different type has been going on in Brecon and was responsible for the appearance of Albert Young Crake, traveller, and his wife, Mrs. C.C. Crake, 109 River Street, Brecon, at Forfer Sheriff Court today, before Sheriff MacDonald. The charge was that on 22nd of December, in the house occupied by Christina McPherson, Weaver, 109 River Street, they did assault the said Christina McPherson 
Albert Crake by striking her on the face with his fist to the effusion of blood, and Mrs. Crake by striking her on the head with a porridge stick or some other blunt instrument to the effusion of blood. Wow, so I love that. Striking on her face with his fist, punching. Uh, great striker on the head with a porridge stick. Didn't know a porridge or stick another was a thing instrument. or something else. So yeah, just smacking them with whatever they had in their hand at the time, sounds <laughs> like. Also, I really enjoyed that they opened this up by saying like, here's a cricket reference for you about <laughs> the ashes um, to get you interested. Uh, and there's another battle going on here. Ha <laughs> because that might be what their clientele would, would be after. Well, the Battle of Ashes in Brecon, to me, is a lot more interesting than the cricket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr A. Burke, solicitor, Dundee, appeared and tendered a plea of not guilty. So it does say in there that they both, both sets of people seem to live at 109. Like where it was sort of neighbourly, I expected one to maybe live at 107 and the other to live at 109. Well, the family were living in 107 and 109 is, is next door. Yeah, yeah. It just says like he and his wife, like, and then lists their address as 109 and then also lists Christina McPherson as 109. Oh, yeah. That may be a little mistake. There. Yeah, because you'd, yeah, you'd presume that they like were neighbours, so would live in the houses beside each other. Good catch. But that's an article error. Talks about neighbours, so live, live next door to each other. Good catch complainers' injuries. Dr. Campbell, Westwood, Castle Street, Brecon, spoke to examining the complainer, whom he said was in a dazed condition with her clothing covered with blood. I'm not surprised. She'd been clobbered <laughs> by both of us. <laughs> she had a scalp wound about three quarters of an inch long in which he inserted a stitch. The left eye and nose were bruised. He did not think the scalp wound could have been caused by a blow from a fist. Oh, so that was the porridge stick. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine so. Christina McPherson, 51, Weaver, 109 River Street, Brecon, said during the past 18 months, she and her neighbours, the Crakes, had not got on together. The trouble had begun about some money which had been stolen from the Crakes, which she understood she was being blamed for. On Thursday, December 20th, Mrs. Crake was washing out the door when the witness went out with her ashes. Mrs. Crake said, take care of your ashes. Witness did not answer. She suddenly got two blows. And as, as Mrs. Crake ran down the stairs, she, witness, threw the shovel after her. Oh, gosh. So now there's a shovel involved, all because <laughs> they said something to her and she didn't reply. Because yep. they think she stole some money from the house. <laughs> yep, so then they're having a go at her about where she's going to throw her ashes. They met again, and Mrs. Crake tried to pull her down, but she got hold of Mrs. Crake's hair. <laughs> After that, Mrs. Crake ran into her house, and as the key was on the outside, the witness turned it and locked her in. <laughs> oh, right, okay. So, just, like, I mean, that's self-defence, isn't it? Like, lock them in their own house. Um... Yeah. Fair enough. The Ashes. On 22nd of December, Mrs. Crake came out of her house with a shovel full of ashes. And when she saw a witness, she said, take that and threw them all over her. Wow. Later in the day, Mr. Crake came into her house and blamed her for making a noise in the morning. Witness said she could make a noise in the morning, but not at night. 
He then said he had evidence to get her 30 days in jail. A witness replied, yes, where you was. Uh, She then ordered him out of the house. And in doing so, she raised her hand, which might have accidentally struck his face. I love that that is how it goes. Oh, dear. Oh, I just put my hand up and his face, he ran into it. If your face got in the way, what am I to do? He then struck her with his fist on the face. And Mrs. Crake struck her over the head with the stick or the shovel. After that, Witness's nephew and Crake got to grips. Ooh. They were like wrestling. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just skips that bit, but that's my impression. <laughs> just over that. yeah. <laughs> Cross-examined by Mr. Burke, witness said she was dazed after the blow from Craig and did not see Mrs. Craig strike her, but she felt the blow. She also admitted that Mr. and Mrs. Craig had not directly accused her of stealing money, but that she had heard it from others. At the close of this witness's evidence, Mr. Burke said he was prepared to tender a plea of not guilty on behalf of Mrs. Crake and guilty on behalf of Mr. Crake. The fiscal accepted the plea and Mrs. Crake was accordingly dismissed. Crake, so Albert, was fined Mm. two pounds. So a lot going on there. Striking her on the (laughs) fist, but then (laughs) Mrs. Crake got off lightly first. Striking her with a porridge stick or some other blungement. <laughs> I guess it's because she said she didn't see her do it. Yeah, she but just felt the blow. Yeah. And th- there's also that thing of like where he, Albert, said, Oh, like I know something that will get you put in jail for all this time. And it's like, Oh, yeah, like where you was. Mm. Like, oh, okay. Mm, interesting. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, Oh, what's this? And I tried to find out more about it. But the only prison time I could find info about was reported in the Dundee Courier, 21st of July, 1926. Basically, he was sent to jail for breaching an interdict that said he couldn't fish from a certain part of the South Esk. He was like fishing where he shouldn't be. Yeah, he was fishing where he wasn't allowed to. Naughty boy. (laughs) Yeah. So not exactly a hardened criminal. That's Unless she's referring to something else. That's the only prison time I could find out about from 1926. Mm. And this is happening in 1929. Mm. In 1949, so we don't hear anything else, but in 1949, there was a notice in the Brecon Advertiser on the 15th of February that says, I, Albert Y. Crake, hereby declare that I will not be responsible for any debts incurred by my wife, Mrs. Cecilia Crake, at present residing at 33 Guthrie Park West. Oh, so she's like left and mm. he's not going to pay her debts, whatever she's yeah. accrued them from. I think it's kind of an announcement saying we've separated, you know, we're, we're not living as husband. Oh, so it's not literally that there's debts, it's just that I'm not responsible for her anymore. It's basically if if you give her any credit, you don't expect to get it from me. It's yeah, yeah. she has to pay it. So it is it is yeah. that, but it's I think mm. it's also kind of an announcement that shows that they've separated. Mm. Um, so that's fifteenth of February in nineteen forty nine, and then in nineteen fifty three, Cecilia dies. We have a death notice on January twenty seventh, saying. At Hillside, on 24th of January, 1953, Cecilia Mayor Christie, beloved wife of Albert Crake Brecon, 
funeral to Dundee crematorium on Tuesday, 27th January at 4pm. Like Hillside, I believe, might be a hospital. Mm, okay, yeah. And, and um, it still says like beloved wife. of. Yeah, so it make, makes you think maybe they got back together. Yeah, perhaps. yeah, because it was, what, four years between the yeah. notice of separation and that? Well, <laughs> in the Dundee Courier on the 21st of December 1954, so roughly two years after Cecilia has died, there is an article headlined Court Told of Family Split. Underneath the heading, it says, in quotes, my wife's behaviour made it impossible for me and I left the house, said a Brecon man in Forfar Sheriff Court yesterday. But his daughter told the court, if there was any ill treatment, it was my father to my mother. Mm. Who do you think they're talking about? <laughs> Who do you think they could be possibly talking about here? Oh, yeah, Albert, yeah. <laughs> Albert Crape, 107 River Street, Brecon is suing his daughter, Ruth Fenton Crape, 43 Guthrie Park, Brecon, for furniture valued at £45, 10 shilling, sixpence. In evidence, Mr. Crape said he was married in June 1922. His wife died on January 24th, 1953. Latterly, they stayed at 43 Guthrie Park, Brecon. He left the house in January 1949, He thought his wife was in a pretty bad mental state. She died in the Royal Mental Hospital, Montrose. After leaving the house, he continued to pay the rent until April 1949. He then told the Chamberlain he could not continue paying. He did not know what happened to the tenancy. He alleged that on one occasion, his wife threw his mother to the floor. So that's your great-great-grandmother, Elizabeth. Mm. He had consulted solicitors regarding the furniture, but had been advised not to remove the furniture from the house or he might have a maintenance order taken against him. After his wife's death, his daughter refused to let him have the furniture. Money in co-op. Next subheading. In 1948, he had money in the cooperative and drew out a large sum which was used for the purchase of some of the furniture. Some of it was received as silver wedding gifts. He agreed that on December 22nd, 1948, he was medically advised to leave the house for his own safety. So this was like to get away from um, Cecilia. I was satisfied there would have been serious consequences if I did not. I was not wanting to be murdered. Okay, probably Cecilia. (laughs) (laughs) He denied having at any time threatened his wife. He also denied that the police spoke to him regarding his conduct. Questioned about the changed relationship between him and his wife after 1948, he said he was blameless. He admitted having broken a window pane to get into the house to try to get some of the furniture. His wife would not let him take the furniture. He admitted having taken the door off a sideboard and the seats from some chairs, but did not do so from malice. He intended going back for them. A will. Although his wife refused to let him take the furniture, she never claimed it belonged to her. The first he had heard of such a claim was, in a will my wife was supposed to have drawn up in favour of my daughter. He stopped working in 1942 because of his health. Between 1943 and 1945, he saved about £300 from the family earnings, his wife's and their son's. So 
spare money. <laughs> yeah. So, so he did some good saving. He saved up the pennies and then Very he virtuous. Sort of bought some furniture and then wanted it back. It sounds like it wasn't his money to be buying furniture with, if that was the case. Mm, mm. Their daughter left the house at that time. Miss Crake said her father was mostly on the means test. I can't recall my father working very much. Her mother was out working even when she, witness, was a child. From the time I was an infant, I had little time for him because of his treatment of mum. I have seen her with a black eye. Mm, so he's seen um, what we would say is like domestic violence really now. Isn't mm. it? Went for police. Her father would not let her or her mother sleep when he could not sleep. He could not see why we should sleep when he could not. On one occasion, she went for the police. And on another occasion, the police warned her father to stay away from the house. Very selfish, isn't it? Like just causing everybody to to stay up just because you're awake yeah there's a, a controlling mum claimed the furniture was hers miss craig denied that her mother was given to fits of temper and violence questioned about an alleged attack by her mother on her grandmother she said my father's mother came and was abusive towards mum mum took her by the scruff of the neck and escorted her into the lobby that was the only violence she should have done it years before. The case was continued for hearing of parties' agents. So, not so um, peaceful in the Craig family no, after all. No, not at 107 River Street. Indeed. Bit of drama. Like him breaking into, like breaking the window to try and get mm. that furniture out of the house as well. It sounds like he's left his wife or... Mm -hmm. wife's chucked him out and he's gone straight to his family's home at 107 so he wouldn't really need the furniture he just wants it because he thinks he's entitled to it do you remember the death notice cecilia christie beloved wife of yeah. Albert Craig. yeah yeah i've often wondered about that when you see on like gravestones and things all these beloved this and i mm. wonder where are you just trying to make up for it now? <laughs> yeah, or just trying to keep keep up appearances even after death, really. It's like the done thing. Yeah. That was 21st of December 1954. And on the 6th of September 1955, so nearly a year later, in the Brecon Advertiser, there is this brief report. Father claims furniture. He's still going on about the furniture. <laughs> Couldn't let it go. Not since he left the house and all of that. Right. A Brecon man has been partially successful in an action against his daughter at Forfar Sheriff Court for recovery of articles of furniture, which he left in the family home for the use of his wife. Albert Craig, 107 River Street, Brecon, alleged that he left his home at 43 Guthrie Park, Brecon, but allowed his wife to remain and to have the use of the furniture. His wife developed mental disease and died on January 24th, 1953. His daughter, Miss Ruth Fenton Crake, 43 Guthrie Park, who had lived with her mother, claimed she and her brother had been bequeathed the furniture by their mother, who left them her whole means and estate. Sheriff Ford finds certain articles were bought with money earned by the father, and others, silver wedding presents, must be his. 
Other articles were shown to have been bought from a savings account admittedly built up at a period after the pursuer had ceased to work and earn from the earnings of his wife, son and daughter. So as we said before, it's their money. They were the ones yeah, working. So he wasn't. There's, there's recognition there that it wasn't him. He was. Hmm. Like, it talked about means. He was on means money or something, wasn't it? That's like the dog yeah means or, test. I presume so. Yeah, yeah, like universal credit as it is now. Whatever. Hmm. These, in my so this is from the sheriff. These, in my opinion, cannot be his. Others were undoubtedly bought with the daughter's earnings. These too cannot belong to the pursuer. The articles of furniture about which the father and daughter are squabbling are of small value. The daughter was ordered to hand over the articles to her father within 14 days. Oh, so that's really sad. Like saying that they're fighting over things that aren't worth very much. So just give them to mm. Like stop all this. That makes you form what opinion then of Albert? Oh, he's a bit petty. Yeah, like the fact he was still going after it like for so long and what does he even need it for like if he's moved back to <laughs> his family home of 107 river street he's just taking it because he feels a bit entitled to it and a bit what's mine is mine maybe gonna sell it oh yeah could maybe sell it yeah and get some that. money from it you'd wonder if it was you'd, you'd hope it was nice sentiment and you know wanted a memory of his beloved wife <laughs> i don't <laughs> feel like that is the case <laughs> I imagine his sister might also be saying, if you're going to stay here, pay your way. Mm, so that was Annie, his sister, was it? Annie, yeah, yeah. Annie Elizabeth that owned the house. Right. So that's your family, really. I should maybe wind up by saying that Elizabeth died in 1965. So she lived mm. about 23 years after her husband, Davidson. And your great-grandmother, Davina, married Hugh Smith Nelson and that's mm -hmm. the part that you know a bit more about 107 River Street does not exist anymore it was eventually they, they finally demolished it it was knocked down <laughs> yeah, they had their way in the end where are you saying it doesn't exist anymore presumably River Street still exists in Britain. River Street still exists yes but 107 does not it's a real shame that it's it's not there anymore, but um, I think they lasted for longer than they probably... Well, yeah, it's fair enough. I hope no one is offended, but I love finding stories about the, the less savoury aspects of people's lives. Well, I enjoy that you were just like, I've got some dirt, and I was like, mm, spill the tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that it makes it more enjoyable for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was, that was excellent. Thank you very much, Pip, for joining me today. It's been lovely having you. No, it's been great to hear a bit, bit more about the fam. <laughs>